Well, welcome to our home. We hope you feel welcome and invited. This is our home in Orange County, California, and it's a, a wonderful day outside, but we figured uh, why not stay here where it's uh, at least not windy and there aren't any people going by. And, uh, you know, this is a really interesting topic for us today. You've probably heard that it's better to be safe than sorry. I know a lot of folks think that's the, that's the main thing we need to understand. <laughs> it's better to be safe than sorry. Well, what we're finding here is that Jesus is going to teach us that sometimes it's uh, it's going to make you really sorry sometimes. You'll, you'll feel sorry about your, your life and maybe have some regrets if you don't take some important risks, some calculated risks in your life and some ca- calculated risks in, in your spirituality. I'd say you took a little bit of a risk in your, your bold shirt there. Well, I, don't, I like this one a lot. It's, it's the, at the very least, it's, it's, it's loud, right? It's definitely loud. This is, from, this is from Barbados, and I found it in Laguna Beach at an old uh, uh, like a consignment shop. And I, you know, I was the first person to wear it, but it was made in the 1940s. Like but it was it. still in its packaging. And I, just, <laughs> I love when I can find something like that. And it does have this kind of, uh, these colors of like the, the Dow, Sur- Dow Surfer yeah. sunset. And so I can't or pass orange, up, yeah. I can't pass up a good orange. I can't be depressed when you're wearing no, that, it's you know. <laughs> it's time to f- the fiesta Gives me time. a little smile. <laughs> so, anyway, so, yeah, so this study is called Be Risky. And we are referring to the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew 25, starts with verse 14. Now there was a man who was traveling out of town for a while. So he called a meeting to his servants and put them in charge of his assets. He put one in charge of five talents. To another, he entrusted two. To another, he gave one. Each were given amounts according to their abilities. And then he headed out on the road right away. The first fellow who had been given five talents invested his money and earned another five talents. Similarly, the second guy earned an additional two talents. But the servant who had received one talent just went and dug a hole and buried his master's silver. After a long while, the master returned to his servants in order to check in on their accounts. When he met with the one he'd given five talents, the servant delivered his additional five talents, saying, Master, you gave me five talents, but look, I've earned another five. And the master said to him, Well then, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in administering a few things, so I will put you in charge of many more things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the second servant, who had been given the two talents, came to him and said, Master, you originally handed, handed me two talents, but look, I've earned two more. So the master responded, Well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge of many more things. Enter into the joy of your master. Finally, the third servant who had received a single talent came forward and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you didn't sow and harvesting where you didn't plant seeds. So in fear, I went out and buried your talent in the ground. See here, this is what's yours. To this, his master responded, you evil and lazy servant. So you knew that I reap where I didn't sow and I harvest where I didn't plant seeds? If that's the case, you should have at least deposited what I gave you with the bankers so that once I got back, I would at least have earned some interest. Take the talent from him, therefore, and hand it to the servant who now has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will receive more and will end up with abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. While you're at it, toss this useless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be wailing and the grinding of teeth. Mm. That sounds really harsh. Yeah, it started out, right? It started out like kind of interesting, and then it just, man, took a, a mm-hmm. odd turn there at the end, throw this guy out onto the street with the, I mean, the grinding he- of teeth. I mean, he didn't like say he had nothing, right? Like he like <laughs> he didn't like steal it or something. He at least gave you know yeah, gave him something so, back. But well, that's supposed. I mean, that's part of what is going on here. It's supposed mm-hmm. to really startle you mm-hmm. with how much the guy who plays it safe is condemned. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing, mm-hmm. the holding on to that treasure or whatever this means. The thing that seemed the safe play, and that's the key. The thing that seemed to be the safe play was in fact the the one that was going to end up in peril. Right. And I think the main point here is that Jesus is, in, is inviting his followers not to live in fear, um, but to be free and creative and, and take some bold, some bold moves, right? And so I, th- I think that's like one of the, the main 
points that will unpack that as we mm-hmm. as we move along here. Um, but I want to mention our our parables in general. <laughs> are they yeah. supposed to be easy to understand? I, <laughs> no, and and the one thing that's very important is you don't want to have this idea that the parable is going to to require a one-for-one correspondence with all of the parts of it. So in other words, this isn't an endorsement of, you know, just profit and greed as the only motivations for life. It's clearly not what Jesus cares about in his day-to-day life. What he's doing in a lot of these, and there are other parables that do this as well, is he'll take a, uh, a bit of wisdom from the world kind of the secular world, the world that's operating without real concern for God's ways. And he's saying, here's some wisdom that they're aware of. Mm -hmm. Let's apply this to our kingdom. So their kingdom's talents are different from Jesus's kingdom's talents. So that's the first thing that's important. The the other thing here is that it is meant to cause you to struggle with it for a while. Mm -hmm. I think the parables can often give you this aha moment where all of a sudden there's this profound new understanding of something. uh, You're looking at something entirely different that you didn't have, you know, the eyes to see. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, that sometimes you need to be coded and Jesus is very careful. He knows that once he gets bold and he's always bold enough, but I mean, once he is going to be, explicit enough about his teaching and who he is and what his message is really about, it's going to end badly in, in worldly terms. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to have to die. Mm-hmm. And because of this, he is sometimes hiding this reality underneath symbols and stories and so right. forth. I mean, this is, this is why art is so exciting to me. Yeah. In, in Christian colleges over the years, Sometimes the things that need to be said that are kind of these prophetic voices in a community through the fine arts, visual arts and drama, sometimes can create these conversations in colleges that might be, say, conservative Christian colleges that um, have a, sometimes a propensity to not want to rock the boat. You know, there's sometimes yeah. in liberal arts colleges where you're, the whole point is to rock the boat. I mean, you know, you're trying to be edgy and all this. But, but sometimes there's something that needs to be said, and you could do it through story. You could do it through literature, through art, through film, you know, these sorts of things in a way that you couldn't do it explicitly. Well, and even if you're watching yeah. or listening to something that is, you know, pushing sort of a boundary in that way, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, just because you're listening and watching doesn't mean you're also necessarily agreeing or needing to assume that position, mm-hmm. but it is good for you to wrestle with this, the idea and, and really give new, you know, an additional thought to some of these things, even if you don't immediately agree. This is so important, Stacy, that you say that. That's, I, I think that's so right because we have an ability in the West, at least, to tolerate a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, C.S. Lewis <laughs> kind of tried to do this in a way to get people to consider the Christian faith Mm -hmm. by telling it as a story for children, lions and witches and wardrobes. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, but we can do this in all sorts of ways. We can use a narrative to convey a point that people will, will get. And then all of a sudden it gets turned on them. I mean, one of the greatest examples of course is in the Hebrew Bible where the prophet Nathan wants to confront the king. And as we know, you know, these days, whether you like Trump or don't like Trump, uh, as we're recording, people that are very close to him sometimes can get crosswise with him. And the, the question is, how do you, if you're, if you're a person that's within the administration, how do you get the leader to see something without it coming across as if you are just confrontational? Right. Well, one of the ways that Nathan does this with David, when David basically you know, coerces Bathsheba into his bedroom and essentially murders Uriah, her husband, by putting him on the front lines in a battle, um, you know, that's a very serious thing. And the prophet Nathan has a hard time as the religious leader standing up against that. That's a big risk that he takes. But the way he takes the risk is by telling a story. And he tells a story about the little sheep that was owned by a dude. And it's a beautiful story. The thing about the Old Testament is if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, there's some hard things there. There's some violence. There's some stuff where you think that is such a different universe from ours where they don't sometimes feel warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was a hard, and it was, it was a hard world in the ancient Near East. But you've got this story that Nathan tells about a guy who's got a little pet sheep. I mean, everybody's eating sheep. Who cares? Even today, very few vegans, you know. Mm-hmm. 
proportionally. And here it is that there's this little sheep. And Nathan says, there's this guy who has this little sheep and he loves his little, little lamb. And, uh, and then somebody else steals it and kills it and eats it. And David's irate. I mean, even an ancient person who is living in a world of bloodshed and, and animal sacrifice and, and animal eating, you know, it's not even a question, understands that, that, that core human feeling of love mm. and affection for a little lamb, mm-hmm. you know? And by using that part of us, the, the childlike self, to confront the wickedness of the adult self is a really powerful thing, all right? So, so parables do, do this all yeah. the time. And in this case, uh, we've got a real, a real doozy on our hands because it's not an easy one to <laughs> and before interpret. before we break into this, um, I want to mention really quick, when, you, when we say take spiritual risks, risks aren't recklessness. That's an, mm-hmm. another important thing. You know, yeah. being risky isn't just, you know, throwing all caution to the wind. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, we're, we, what we're talking about here, there's a point to it. Um, there's, it's a risk, but it's still, you know, you're going to think through it before you, you know, take action. It's not about being stupid. It's about being courageous. Yeah. It's about saying that there are times to hold back and be circumspect, and there are other times when you need to act, and sometimes acting is going to require a bit of risk. Right. Any great thing that's ever done is going to take a little bit of risk. Otherwise, I, everybody else would do it. And I believe we already mentioned this on the show before, so very briefly, um, with Huck Finn. I mean, he takes yeah. a risk. That's an, This is like a perfect example for this study of the risk-taking, right? We're talking about this idea that Huck Finn, as he's trying to help Jim, his friend who's a slave, escape, he doesn't understand how that is okay in God's eyes because everybody that he knows, every Christian that he knows, thinks that the Bible endorses slavery. And he has a hard time with this at this gut Mm -hmm. level, at that same childlike level that I was talking about with David and Nathan. And so the risks that I'm talking about are risks that are based on love, Mm -hmm. intuition, courage. And intuitively, Huck Finn knows, I am thinking I'm not going to turn my friend in. Right. But he thinks he's going to go to hell for it. And he says, essentially, I'll be damned. I will be damned if I've got to turn my friend in, if that's what the teaching is, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And as we've said before, that's actually the mark of true faith. Yes. That's not a mark of rebellion. That's a mark of true faith. And it's faith ultimately in, in God in, a, in yeah. an implicit sense, in the universe, in justice, yep. as opposed to a lack of faith, which allows us to sometimes make very dangerous compromises, very wicked compromises for our own protection. Right. And I think what's important to think about in this text here, we'll go back to the parable of the talents, is why was the third guy so timid? You know, he he answers and basically says that I knew you were were, were cruel. I knew you were a cruel master and mm-hmm. that you reaped where you didn't sow, you harvested, you know, where you didn't plant. And so notice by the way he said, I knew you were, it, it, it's not really, it doesn't really discuss the, the nature of the, the master, except for the fact that he's going on this trip and he, you know, obviously assigns different amounts of money. Um, the other thing too, is the other two that brought something back. I mean, he is inviting them to take part of like the joy and, and in some, you know, translations will say the happiness yeah and the blessing does that and that doesn't really sound like a a cruel master to me if he didn't just take it and say oh you know you're now you're done and you know here's here's one talent for what you've done no it's sharing the wealth of what we have going here when they are successful by risking these things he he brings them into his blessings he he brings them into the home they're now uh, no longer servants essentially Mm -hmm. they are they're his family Right. They get it. Mm-hmm. And the guy who didn't get it, who feared that the master was dangerous and cruel, all of a sudden gets all the things that he feared that master yeah. would do. Right. It is a very strange thing that, that basically if you go in thinking that God is loving, then you experience abundance and love. If you go in thinking that God is wicked 
and cruel, but you're going to serve him like, you know, mm-hmm. he's Sauron or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of world that you end up living in. And I'm not even sure I like some of the passages there, that idea especially where it says, you know, the people who have something we're gonna, are going to get more. Yeah. And those who don't have are going to lose even what they've got. But if you think of it in terms of the world... First of all, it's kind of true. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And <laughs> it's expensive to be rich. I mean, we've you know seen this over the years. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't want to put any notion of blame, though, in, in on the, the poor. Well, no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think it is true that people who have experienced trauma sometimes get re-traumatized because bad people see them as as easy targets. It's very upsetting to me, but I don't think Jesus is talking about that here. No. He's saying that people who have a, a, a spirituality that's stingy and about scarcity and about fear end up with more fear. And those who just boldly go into their spirituality thinking that this is about love and creativity and abundance, they find abundance. Yeah. Well, and because he, he didn't even give... He didn't give instructions of what they were supposed to do with the money, right? No, he just gave it to them. <laughs> and so yeah. that's the other thing, too. So they were allowed to do whatever it was that they wanted to try, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the part that's interesting with the master is he's saying, well, if you thought that I was this cruel person, then at least, you know, could you have put it in the bank and got some interest on this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you want to play it safe. I mean, At I, least do something. That, yeah, rather than just, but he... He froze up. He was so afraid, I think, to fail or so afraid to not produce something to the masters. So he literally froze up and did nothing. Friends, you got to understand this. I know this, this may be new to you or maybe it sounds just too simplistic, but most of the time when I meet people that are devout religious folks that come into my classes or people we meet in you know religious settings, they think that the number one thing to do is to not step on the crack and break mama's back. And in mm-hmm. other words, there's, what should I not do? That's what religion is. Don't touch this. What, what's taboo, right. right? And what this does is it leads us to squandering our entire lives. Yes. We end up never having lived. And maybe we figure it out right at the end <laughs> that we actually had this gift of life that God wanted us to live. And, and maybe, you know, it's kind of like if I... If, the other day you made food for us mm-hmm. and I had already eaten because I was hanging out with my friend, you know, Josh, I was yes. dropping him off yeah. at his, his, his uh, the house where he was going. He was a speaker at the college. And so I came back and we had gotten some tacos and they were very good tacos, but I, <laughs> I didn't realize you were going to make dinner mm-hmm. and you were a little bit sad that, um, that I, that I wasn't going to be able to eat the dinner. Well, that's kind of the feeling I think. And I felt bad that I wasn't able to eat the dinner. And that is the same thing that I think, is the moral, spiritual tragedy of being given 50 to 80 years, say, of existence on this planet and never once going on the rides, yeah. right? Like, or, or tasting and seeing the goodness that's around us. Mm-hmm. We think that religion invites us to not enjoy this existence. And in fact... So what does that have to do with the dinner? I'm well, curious. Well, what I'm saying is... Well, what I'm saying with the dinner is you made me a dinner. Uh-huh. This is like parables. It's not one-for-one correspondence. You made me a dinner, and it was sad that I didn't eat the dinner. Well, God gave us a life. It oh, would be I sad see. if I didn't I enjoy see. my life. I just, I didn't know what, I don't know, I didn't know how well, that connected. That's which very is good that you brought it back. It's very good that you brought it back, right? No, but what I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm saying I felt bad, mm-hmm. because when there's a gift, mm-hmm. we want people to enjoy it, is my point. Right. Yes. God, if God's giving us this world, mm-hmm. Jesus says, Essentially, why are you not doing something with this world? Why are you thinking that the whole point is to not have any fun, not mm-hmm. make any friends, not right. go out there and do something exciting and good? And we think that that's, um, that's diligent. Like, you know, the, the good, respectable person isn't going dis- to have any fun. You're disciplined, or do anything. Yeah. You're, you know, you're responsible, you do right. what you're supposed to do, you get all your work done, which is true. I mean, yes. it's good to get your work done, but it's also good. It's also good to play. Yeah, but right? and, and, not, it's, and it's not just play in the frivolous sense. That in business, it's actually a good idea to create a culture where people can take risks. Right. And so in spirituality, Jesus is saying, that's also true. Do something with these opportunities well, that you've and been I, given. And I, and I think part of it, so what's really important here is, again, who do we think God is? Because if we feel like we have the space and that we can, you know that there is love and that God's got your back kind of thing, um, then you can take more risks with your life. So an example that we 
had mentioned was that we had come across the bartender. Well, I think we were in Minneapolis at the time. Yeah, it was a little, it was a place that was not a nonprofit because you can't, I think the law was in Minneapolis that you can't have a nonprofit that sold booze. Correct. But ah, it was, makes so sense what enough, they I say suppose. is all, all the profits though go to charity. charity. Yeah, yeah. So they had a charity that they cared about. So in other words, you knew that once they covered their costs, that every extra brewski that you got, yep. and it was great. Mm-hmm. They had ciders and the stuff. It yeah. was a great place. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the show notes, we'll try to remember what it was and, <laughs> and, and give you a link to it because it's great. But what was the point of it? Well, the point was is that he, he uh, we were talking about what's the hardest part you know, of his job. And he said is when he's, he has to stop serving somebody. Yeah. And usually, I mean, he's not serving them because they're already inebriated, right? They're drunk. and He doesn't want to serve them. He knows that he could get in legal trouble if he serves. You over-serve not only, somebody. Yeah, not only he himself, but also the establishment. You know, yeah. there's a whole thing. And, it, and that's just if something goes wrong while he's, while this person might be driving home. And so right. he was saying that some, you know, it, it can cause sometimes a whole scene in, yeah. in the, at the bar there when he's, you know, basically denying somebody. But what he loves. We've all seen, I mean, we've seen this. You yes. Know? I am not too drunk to have this. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, right. and, and then right. now there's more problems because you're not serving. But. Right. Right. And <laughs> yeah, they'll, they definitely take it as big mm-hmm. time judgment. But, but he said that what helps him in his job and why he likes working there is that the owners have his back. And so any, they trust his judgment and they respect the fact that he doesn't serve people that shouldn't, you know, be served anymore. And so, yeah. but that allows him to make those calls. If he always had to worry that the, you know, that the owner's now going to get mad because he's refusing business, then it would make it a lot harder. You know, it would be a crisis, a conscious, a crisis of conscience every time, mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, is for sure, you know, what's going on here, you know, and I don't want to serve him, but maybe I, you know, might be pressured into it, that kind of thing. By knowing that he had good owners, he was able to do what he's supposed to do. And owners that understood that they needed to empower him yes. not to be afraid, but to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and that they would back him. Yes. Academic administrators, when professors have to you know, grade hard on a student because they've plagiarized, the worst thing that a, an administrator can do is to not back up the faculty member because the parents are rich, say. Mm-hmm. So let's say there's a rich donor of a parent and they have a child that's in the class, and they've cheated, and you're a dean or you know somebody in administration yeah. that doesn't want to yeah. you know piss off this family. It's it's hard, but that's the nature of the true kingdom. The nature of the true kingdom is one that allows us to take those risks, not so that we can do evil, but so that we can do the good that we know we need to do, and that is in the long run going to be good for the organization. Yeah. So in the case of... You know, in the case of the bar, there are many bars that this guy said that he'd worked at where the owner would come in and get angry at him because he may be pissed off, uh, you know, a local figure that was high powered. You know, the the, the guy who was a great persecutor of Christians and and in fact was was emperor during the time of the uh, the death of Paul, for instance, Nero, Nero, this you know horrific, uh, horrific Roman emperor. He used to go out to the bars and he would dress down and he would go out and get in bar fights and stuff. And so there's always people Mm. like that. There's Mm. always very powerful people that might be at a bar Mm -hmm. and they might be intoxicated and then the owner might have other business dealings with them. And so they might be in a position where even if they thought that the employee did the right thing, just to keep that relationship good, Mm -hmm. they might fire that employee. And that's the nature of the not kingdom. That's the bad kingdom. The good kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus that says we're the people that back each other up when they make these risky but important mm-hmm. decisions that are based on intent. And again, when we talk about what sort of God do we think that God is, right? Is yeah. do we think that God is the is the type that would be upset with us even though we were well intentioned but turned out to be mistaken about something? Yeah. You know, we make a make a stand on something and we were wrong. I mean, would we get punished maybe having to go to hell for all of eternity in other words is god a worse boss than mid-level managers that don't allow a certain kind of creative freedom that's going to help a company yeah that's a real question right i mean it's a real question it's a it's a real doozy of a question in that if jesus is right that we would say that the that the good manager or the good business owner is one who empowers 
the the employees to take good risks for the sake of the company and then is gracious enough when they fail, mm-hmm. but would rather them fail than not do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, um, then why would we think God's a dork, a loser compared to this, right. you know, business person. Right. So if you're looking for Sunday school teachers <laughs> or youth workers, if you're a church leader and you're looking for a, uh, you know, a director of Christian education, for goodness sake, don't just look for somebody that's going to be safe. Right. Also, side issue, be really, really safe with the other protocols of background checks and, you know, character, uh, uh, uh references and so forth. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the ability to have somebody who might do something slightly different than you've done before. Last week, we were on the podcast in between these these podcasts about chapters. We were talking about a listener email that was asking about whether or not it would be wise to do anything about a forced or a mandatory class that had really brought a lot of kids into a church program. Mm-hmm. And you know, as, as we said last time, maybe the answer is that's not a risk you want to take, or as they say, not a hill you want to die on. But at the same time, it's going to be precisely those people that every once in a while are going to say, you know what? I know that we've got 90 students here, but they're not coming to church after they're 18. What if we made this free and open? Mm-hmm. And, and then the people that are here really want to be here. It's possible that it could really start something. It's possible. It's and possible. Nonetheless, that's how things so, do get started. So, are one, are you in a place that allows for you to possibly take risks like this yep. when you know it's for a good cause? Yep. Um, if you're wrong, I mean, do you believe in a God that is loving <laughs> and forgiving enough that, you know, that there's space for you to try this, yeah. um, you know, especially incorporating what you think, you know, it is more of the character of, of God and what Jesus is saying about God? Mm-hmm. And you did some research on that, right? Oh, related to thinking what you think yes, you should think? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, that's, that's been the biggest piece of, of, you know, my recent time off from mm-hmm. work, you know, my sabbatical. And, and may I talk a little bit about William just, of Ockham? Yes. Dear listener, I am just for a moment going to give you some hardcore research for my sabbatical. And if this sounds too esoteric or if esoteric sounds too esoteric as a term, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw some academic jargon at you. I'm, I'm trying to bring you something that I think can be really helpful. So William of Ockham was this late medieval philosopher who really broke with what's called the Via Antiqua, the old way. And he was part of what they called the Via Moderna. That's the modern way. Now, this is, you know, a 14th century dude. So, you know, it's not that modern. But it's, it, it's modern in the sense that it was a break from this old way of thinking. And the old way of thinking thought, what, the old <laughs> way of thinking was uh, this idea that you could know what God was up to essentially by understanding what was necessary through reason. So, for instance, the old way would be associated with a guy named Anselm of Beck, or Anselm of Canterbury. And Anselm wrote a book called Cur Deus Homo, that is, Why God Became a Man. And in this, he said, God had to. The only way for God to reconcile human beings who were sinful to himself was for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine. Now, the church has always said, Christian churches have said, God is, in Christ, fully human and fully divine. But the question is, is that the only way that God could have saved humanity? And the old way was, of course. So in other words, you you have God having to answer to some necessary truth of reason. Mm. Well, the, the new way, or the modern way, was no, actually, God could choose any way at all, really, any way to reconcile human beings to himself. In the case of the Via Moderna late medieval theologians, it was that if you do your best, facere quad in se est, if you do your best, then God will essentially grade you on a curve. Mm. <laughs> Later on, Martin Luther picks up Occam and says, I am in the way of Occam. I agree with Occam's philosophy, but he had a different way. He said, God can choose to just love people because he redeemed them through the Lamb of God who was in Christ. So by simply receiving that faithfully, you will be receiving what God's way is Mm -hmm. of of love and uh, forgiveness. So it's in Christ. But the key that's 
the kind of going through all of this is that, of course, that's the issue of salvation, but the question of what you should do ethically comes up for Occam and for Luther. And the question is, do you know for sure what you should do in every, give, every given moment? No, it's very hard. Sometimes there are, there are moments where you're not sure what to do ethically. So you might think, I'm going to go look at the Bible. I'm going to see in the Bible what, you know, what the Bible says about what we should do. Well, it turns out that sometimes the Bible will change what you should do based on the context. Mm. And ultimately what Occam says is that in the Old Testament, it's not just that God didn't like um, you know, ham, ham and cheese sandwiches. It's that if you had a ham and cheese sandwich, for some reason or another, it would be a sin. Now, I think the reason this is has to do with this idea that in the ancient world, there was a lot of human sacrifice. And that sometimes cultures that wanted to substitute an animal for a baby would use a piglet because a piglet could be essentially tricking the gods into thinking that you sacrificed your child. They smell... Like human yes. flesh burning. Yeah. And they think that the sounds also could mimic the, the squeals. It's very yeah. upsetting, but that's, this is related yeah. to our stuff on Molech. But now it's just speculation, but I think it's a very strong speculation. But it doesn't matter whether this is right or wrong in terms of the speculation. It's that the, in the ancient world, I think the problem with pork wasn't it, it's like being dangerous for your health. It was the idea that it was associated with people who, uh, sacrifice their kids mm. and the people of God were not supposed to do that. So they didn't want to have any pigs. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It was an association. And so therefore at that time it was sinful. Another thing is you can see, I've got some, uh, I got some ink here. There's a little <laughs> bit, there's like a little uh, tattoo there. Uh, but you know, the Hebrew scriptures are against tattoos. Well, my dad was against tattoos. Mm-hmm. Why is he against tattoos? Well, my dad was against tattoos. Well, he still is. He still is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in, in, in the sixties when he was a hippie, the people with tattoos were the bikers Mm -hmm. and the bikers were hippie killers. I mean, Mm -hmm. they hated the hippies. And uh, my dad was at a concert where the hell's angels were, Mm -hmm. you know, doing security and they, they killed some people. Mm -hmm. So the tattooed people were, uh, were violent. So to wear a tattoo or to to get a tattoo associating with that. Yeah. And so in that sense, it was sinful. If I got a tattoo, in a mm-hmm. weird way, if I, got a, if I was one of my dad's friends back You're in the saying, 60s... You're saying, this is the tribe I'm in, or this is the club I'm a part of. Yeah. Now, you move to the book of Acts, and all of a sudden, Peter says, no, God, I don't want to have unclean food. I won't have uh, those ribs, those, those beautiful, beautiful baby back ribs. And God says, no, eat those. In that sense, when, when Peter has this experience, when Peter has this new revelation, and this is all... Occam, I mean, Occam is, is right on with this, that he would actually be sinning for not having a pork uh, sandwich. And in fact, Paul, when he, he confronts Peter in Galatians, he says he, he confronted Peter to his face because, because Peter was pretending like he was still trying to play by the old rules. So in the old, in, in other words, there are some things that are, you know, maybe we could say that's natural law and it's universal. But Occam said for the most part, Ethics is really, really hard because there are so many contextual elements to it. So what he said was the only thing you can really do is just follow the call of Jesus. Right. And you can't have these rational principles. Now, I I can't get into all this because, friends, this is going (laughs) to take me probably the rest of my life to really unpack because it's not easy. What he's saying is related to, if you've ever read the, the Euthyphro Dialogue, uh, the Euthyphro Dialogue is written by Plato, and it's got Socrates asking this basic question. Is something good because the gods demand it? Or does God demand something because it's good? And for the most part, we think, well, no, God commands things because they're good. And Occam said, actually, it's God commanding it that makes it good. But what he meant was that our, our lives are so filled with contingencies mm. and situations that are so unique that to think that we could just use the Bible like a... Nah, um, like an answer key or something. Yeah. Like, no, it's way too more, it's way too complicated. Or a Subaru that. manual mm-hmm. to know, you know, what, what kind of oil should I put in? No, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's complicated. But what, what you have to go to then is this idea that you have to be able to act ethically in the context of an overarching forgiveness that there are so many times when we're not sure should, you know, should we resuscitate grandma? It's not as simple as we might think Mm -hmm. there are. It's not as simple. Should, 
this this baby get another surgery and this baby is terminal? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a thing that came up recently in the news. It's not simple. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that it's relative. I'm saying it's not simple. It's not easy. It's not clean right. sometimes. So Occam says the only thing that you can do is trust in the goodness of God and cultivate virtues in yourself. So Occam is a virtue ethicist, which means that he's not a legalist. He's not always asking, well, what's the rule here? He's saying, you know, follow the virtues that are biblical, that are revealed to us mm-hmm. and aren't always obvious. Right. Forgiveness isn't obvious. Love isn't obvious. Loving your enemies is definitely not obvious. So scripture does tell us what to do, but it doesn't tell us how to do it. How do we love our enemies? That's going to be an art. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that's what we're up to is what we're supposed to do. Now, how does this come down to, to Luther? Even though many Lutherans that I know are very much you know, into this idea that we've already figured it out, we've written it down, memorize it, that's all we have to do. Mm-hmm. Luther himself was this spirit of, of liberty that was just astounding. He had no right to stand up against the emperor and the church and say, I think I disagree <laughs> in a very profound way. And I really wish, especially since I teach in a Lutheran university, that more young people that came to me through Lutheran K through 12 education and Lutheran catechisms and so forth and the confirmation classes, I wish they got the idea that Luther's people are the people of this bold liberty, mm-hmm. not fear of getting it wrong. Right. I remember the, the, um, the daughter of the founding president of Concordia University, Charles Mansky, a wonderful uh, ethicist and religion scholar, um, you know, everything that I got excited about in many ways about world religions came through his classes. Mm. And, and his daughter was a, um, was, a, was a student at the same time I was a student, Noel, and she was, you know, she was training to be a youth worker. And uh, she, she did a, a, a little chapel presentation where they did a, they did a play or they did a little skit mm-hmm. based on the Bible. And all of the theology people, we were all real jerks at the time. We said, no, wait a minute. You're a woman. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to um, interpret that skit because the skit is biblical. So you just preached. You're not allowed to <laughs> preach. And so you did something wrong. And so we were always, we thought that the way that we were going to be good followers of Martin Luther was to find when somebody got out of line and smacked their wrists. Mm. That's what we thought was the number one thing that a good follower of Jesus in the line of Luther would do. But notice how the whole thing starts. Now, I understand because I am a uh, historian of ideas, and I know that this is, um, that this is not necessarily what, G- that, uh, and I know this is not necessarily what Luther said, uh, but he wrote this down. And so the famous Here I Stand speech that he gives at the Diet of Worms when he is called to account for his, his teachings and he is going to be condemned as a heretic and in fact might have to face execution hmm. if he stands on these texts. He, he, he's given a day. He says, before I answer for whether or not I'm going to recant my teachings when, he's, when he was called out, he says, give me a day. I got to think about this. And I'm sure that the reason he had to think about it was because he knew that if he gave the wrong answer, he might have to die. And so he says, uh, of course, in the famous uh, quote, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Mm-hmm. Now, how many times, if you grew up in church, were you told that part, that you shouldn't go against conscience, that you should follow Occam and Luther, that you should think what you think you should think, mm-hmm. and you should do what you think you should do, not because you could do any old thing that you want, but because the only thing that you possibly have as a resource is your own noggin. Right. Right. It's not... Maybe you're wrong, but you, you can only do what you think you should do. What else is there to do what some other right. creep thinks and if you should do? And if you're, you're, if you're living life trying to appease somebody else, I mean, essentially, you're basically just a slave to 
their God. If you trust the wisdom of somebody and a, and a leader, and, and that's that's good too, but it's good for you to also do your own research and make yeah. sure that you have the, you know a similar idea rather than just blindly sort of accept certain things because somebody that you know you trust has said something to you. You know, like I think there's a certain thing you don't have to go looking into everything. Sometimes you don't have time, so you trust authorities. Right. If you think you should trust them, yeah. You should trust who you think you should trust. Yeah. You should join what you think you should join. That's it's it's just about empowerment. It's mm-hmm. just about agency. Yeah. So I think to kind of go back to the parable here. Um so basically overall we've got the the two servants that end up, you know, doing something creative or whatever, multiplying the money and the the master is happy. You've got the one again that he was too afraid of the master, so he buried, you know, the the town. Can you imagine, by the way, if Luther, <laughs> if he just said, hey, "I got this thought, I'm going to bury that thought." <laughs> um, yeah, right? is that yeah. what we wanted? Well, no. maybe if you're I mean, a Roman Catholic, maybe so. But you know, would even, have changed, even... Hi- changed history for you, that's for sure. So definitely, your view of the master matters, and how yeah. you know, and your perception of God would matter. Um, what who what kind of what kind of God is God? Um, and then the the other last part would would be again, that we mentioned, he was so afraid and his fear yeah. immobilized him. And it it was because he, the very thing that he was worried about, we mentioned, yeah. is what happened to him, right? He got the cruelty part for, you know, again, just freezing up and not doing anything with what he was supposed to do. And I think that we've talked about it before, but again, this reminds me of the object fixation idea mm-hmm. where... You know the very thing, and you know motorcycle. You're staring at something, and if you're if if you're look, you want to look where you want to go. Not what you don't want to hit. <laughs> Not what you don't want to yeah. hit. Otherwise, you will end up you know hitting it. And people die all the time by staring at the thing they're trying to avoid. And too often in life, this happens all the time. Like, think about it. What are what might you be afraid of? Um, and then is that something you have you know a lot more in your life? Yeah. You know, try. Try to you know consider that and 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 sort of see you know where where is our fear affecting our behaviors and you know and what we're doing and then what's the result of it yeah <laughs> um, and are you happy with that what what do you want to see what ha- you know happen because that's the other thing too if you're always just focusing on the fear again <laughs> that's the wrong focus I think if you you figure out if you, where you want to go um, and then go for that so by I guess. If you're constantly um, like looking for something or avoiding something, so say you think that you know that God's going to be upset, you know if you do X, Y, or Z, and then all you're doing is looking for other people that are doing it, or you know looking to see if you're being tempted to do that. Instead, what does God want you to do? And put that in your mind, you know, and and focus on on realizing this, right? Yeah, putting this into life. Put, making this a part of your life. Um, I think the other other important part I think for us to keep in mind is that you know God's love is expansive. You know He unconditional love. It doesn't run out. It's not as if He's going to you know that God can, can, needs to sprinkle love only in you know on certain people or in mm-hmm. certain areas. I mean, it's possible once you dig into love, it grows. It yeah. it spreads. You know and. Once, you know, once you, if you truly show love or kindness to somebody, it brightens their day in a way that also encourages them to then, you know, it's infectious. It pretty much just overflows out of somebody when when they've been deeply touched and then they go and and spread that joy and love to somebody else, (laughs) you know, so. Abundance, abundance, abundance. Faith creates more faithfulness. Trust creates more trust. Love is exponential yeah. when it's enacted. Yep. And so I think that the question here is, do you have faith in abundance? Yeah. You know, and what kind of, what sort of faith do you have? And, mm. and is, you know, is, does God have enough love for you too? <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Uh, absolutely. I know the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So let's maybe end with two questions. We don't have a lot of time to kind of tease them out, but I think it's kind of fun just to see yeah. what a couple of the questions are from the chapter. Right, so I'll I'll read the first one. It says, if it turns out that God is cruel and unjust, would you still worship such a God? 
should you worship such a God? I've said this in class, and people are just shocked at me. They, they're just surprised. And I say, absolutely not. If God is cruel and unjust, then... That sounds more like the devil yeah, to me. <laughs> I will be damned. I'll go to hell if that's what I need to do. Because I think that at some... Now, am I, am I too afraid? Maybe I would worship a cruel and unjust God just to avoid hell, I guess. But if I could help it, I wouldn't. Right. Right? Um, and I, I think... You're kind of in hell. Yeah. Avoiding that God anyway, yeah, right? So right, I don't right. think you win. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... it's I think it, it should go without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. That we so often are so so worried that we have offended a God that we, we think isn't cool. Mm-hmm. Why do we spend so much of our lives caring about that God other <laughs> than just fear? Is there just some monster in the sky? Well, let's, let's, let's figure out how to, you know, revolt. Well, the, the <laughs> other thing, the, the other like thing that, Manson, that right? really <laughs> hit home for me, yeah. but the other thing that really hit home for me is, you know, some of, some of these versions of God that I've been taught that, you know, especially, you know, when it is the, the, the cruel, you know, version, I don't really want to be in all of eternity <laughs> with this yeah. cruel being. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I don't know. That doesn't sound like a fun party. That sounds actually more like hell. <laughs> but I don't think, I don't so, think biblically, rationally, <laughs> mystically, I don't have any real reason to believe that. Right. So, I mean, so it's not, it's more of a thought experiment, but I think most people, when they ask that question, it's a real question. Most people, when they ask that question would secretly say, I spend most of my life doing what I don't want to do out of fear yeah. of my dad, my husband, my boss. Well, or sometimes know. it is this idea that you might put in your head about God, but please, if that's your motivation, then really, really research and look into the Bible, look into where some of these ideas of God is coming from for you. Yeah. Um, is it some weird medieval texts you know, that does has nothing it, to do with... Is it something you've yeah. been told and just accepted? And, you know, that... Anyway, like, there, yeah. see if there's any validity to it. Right. You might be, you know, kind of, there might be this false version of God that's in your yeah. head from, you know, put place back, you know, way back when. Yeah. Anyway. So this, the other question uh, that we thought would be fun for, for us to share with the listeners right now is, uh, maybe you can answer this one, Stacey, what fear is the most debilitating in your life? Is there something you can focus on related to this fear that might help you steer your life course in a healthy direction? Yeah, so I think, um, especially with you know my desire, want or need for um, perfection, <laughs> or and definitely having a you know knowing deep sense of right and wrong, that literally a fear of failure is one of one of my fears, yeah. and sometimes it's hard for me. Oh, this must be a tough chapter for you. <laughs> this is <laughs> you always you know I never thought about this. Yeah. Oh, baby, good job, good job. You got through. You didn't seem to be stressing out about this. But you do sometimes when, when, when you describe something that's wrong, you say, that's not where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you have this kind of overarching sense of, of, of the way things should be, and you judge yourself very harshly yeah, and so, when things are out of place. You know, when it comes to you know, writing or especially you know, like if assignments and papers and stuff like that in, in college and everything, you know, again, that fear of failure, which yeah. I always got great grades, you know, like I, I, I put a lot of work into what I did, but that fear of failure, it, it almost immobilized me yes. to get started on some of the projects and stuff. And, and so it's constantly something that in my life, if I'm not careful, um, I can let that rain yeah. <laughs> um, and, and sort of often procrastinate <laughs> um, when I'm afraid to get started or, you know, or jump into the pool. You know, you've seen yeah. me like it, the, uh, we were at the hot springs or no, it wasn't hot springs. We were just at the springs in Florida. And I discovered that I had a fear of uh, scuba diving or no, no, sorry, snorkeling. snorkeling. Yeah. <laughs> fear of snorkeling. I mean, there were alligators and things, but that wasn't your thing. You just didn't like that feeling of, of it, breathing underwater. To be able to trust in the, you know, like the snorkel and, and just relax enough to just flow with it It was so hard. And so I would, you know, kind of stay at the shore or whatever, not jump totally in, you know, or, or keep my head up, you know, but you were very gracious to me. And, I was not, Stacy. <laughs> I was like, "Let's." There's beautiful no, fish in here. I mean, come check them out. When I finally would get in, yes, you would stay right there, hold my uh, hand, and I, I wasn't was, gracious. When you trusted, you felt the joy 
for me of the blessings yeah, of the gift for right? me if i didn't have to worry about like where i was going and if i could just hold on to you and float alongside then I, I could just relax enough to breathe and get through it, you know, and, and then mm-hmm. enjoy the beauty and, and seeing everything. So you were sort of the captain mm-hmm. of our little swimming adventure, and I appreciate that. But, yeah. but the point is, is yeah. that, yeah, so I think um, for me, again, like even having compassion on myself, yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is a huge thing to be able to move forward, um, to realize that, you know, the, the first time I do something, it won't be perfect. Mm. It's not going to be. Um, if you don't get started and do something, you know, and, and get going on it, though, then you won't have things to revise and, and make better. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, it is good for me to just, you know, jump in the pool. You know, if mm. I believe in something enough, just mm. sort of like even this podcast, you know, yeah. it's it's this does not come easy or, or natural, shall I say, right. uh, to me to be recorded and be on a video and that kind of thing. But I believe in what we're talking about so much that I'm okay to fail, (laughs) you know, and, and, and helping to get the message out here. It's been a such, yeah, it's been such a fun thing to be so afraid (laughs) and then, and then float, Yeah, you know? And I think if friends, if you haven't been to the, the, the Springs there in, in Florida, where there's this fresh crystal clear water bubbling up from the ground and sometimes it can be so clear that you feel like you are flying mm-hmm. and yet there's fear. What's under there? Are there alligators? Are there weird, you know, mm-hmm. snapping turtles? Mm-hmm. And most of the time you can see so well that you know that there isn't anything that's up there to well, hurt you. Well, there's also this, you know, like where we were, there was a current too. So that was kind of pushing us along, which a little bit, yeah. was part of, for me, you know, would heighten, but it's, it is gorgeous. But when we held hands mm-hmm. and we floated, I think this is a metaphor, friends, for what, what I hope that you can experience. We're not inviting you to be risky so that you end up in doom. We're not asking you to be risky so you end up in danger. We're asking you to get out of the dangerous trap of fear and get into the water. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and you can hold hands and you can float. And even though it's hard with that little snorkel, the snorkel of faith. <laughs> that I can breathe deeply. And what is up with peace baby? upon peace. <laughs> Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.